Well, good morning, family. That wasn't very enthusiastic. I don't think you're very happy to see me. That's okay. <laughs> you're just looking outside. It's such a beautiful day, and you're hoping Pastor doesn't go too long so you can get out there and enjoy it. And I, uh, I will do my best. I didn't do very well first service, so I'll try to do better this time. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Harley, for reminding us about... Um, uh, different ways we can be involved in missions. What a blessing. I'm so grateful that this church has, uh, has a big heart for missions, and you have been in the past and continue to be very involved uh, in that, and I, I, am, I am so glad. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer as we come to the Lord's Word. Father, we are, are uh, so grateful, grateful for your grace to us that saved us, and your grace to us that gives us the opportunity to partner with you in bringing the gospel to people next door and all the way around the world. What a blessing to uh, connect with so many and be, be connected to so many missionaries who are serving in places where we can't go. Father, we pray that in uh, the year ahead that we would be uh, our, our reach would be extended more than ever, that we will be faithful to connect with missionaries, get to know them. We will be faithful to pray for them. We will be faithful to support them financially, that we will be faithful to go as you give us opportunities. We will be faithful to share the good news with those around us as you open doors. For, Father, you have given us the high calling of being ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Thank you for that. In these moments now as we open your word, we're grateful that we have your word. Lord, may you, through your spirit, quicken your word in our hearts. May our spiritual ears be open, our spiritual minds be attentive, and our hearts be tender, that we might be changed in our time together with you and hearing from you in your word. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And again, if you're new this morning, I, uh, I'm just glad that you're here. Welcome if you're visiting with us and if you're online with us as well. We're glad that you're able to be, be with us as well. How we look forward to the day when finally, hopefully, one of these days we'll all be together again in the same room physically. That would be wonderful. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 3. I encourage you to turn there if you're not already there as we're going through this marvelous book. Leadership matters. Good leaders are the key to the success of almost any enterprise. Businesses, corporations, and organizations invest significant time, great effort, and big bucks trying to identify and attract leaders who will, they hope will lead them to success. But when I read books and articles on leadership, when I listen to, to discussions about leadership, what I hear is that good, effective, faithful leaders are hard to find. To make matters worse, it seems that not a day goes by where if we listen to news or read news, we don't hear some news about the unfolding or continuing scandal involving some leader or group of leaders caught up in uh, some embezzlement or fraud or dishonesty or abuse of power or sexual misconduct or whatever. And the people or the person that some group thought was going to propel them into success and victory instead has plunged their group into ridicule, embarrassment, and possibly into ruin. It is an old story and one, as I say, that we hear almost every day. 
Sadly, in the last year, I can think of examples where it's happened on the national stage in government. It's happened in state and local governments. It has occurred in, uh, in corporate institutions, corporate America. We've seen it in, in uh, colleges and universities. We've seen it in pro and college sports. We've seen it in uh, civic organizations. We've seen it with Hollywood moguls. And sadly, we've seen it even in Christian institutions and in churches. Considering the damage that poor and corrupt leaders can bring about, it's of paramount importance that we choose leaders well. That's why we really need to exercise care and effort to get educated and to do our duty to vote in the upcoming elections here in just a few weeks from now. But may I say that the purpose and the mission of the church is more important and more significant than government. And more important and significant than any human institution. And therefore, this matter of leadership in the church is of paramount importance to us. It's why we need to take the time to look and to carefully study what the scripture says about leadership in the church. The Apostle Paul, you recall, as we started this book, we noticed that Paul left Timothy in the city of Ephesus to correct some problems and some issues that had arisen in this Ephesian church. Now Paul is writing this letter to this young pastor Timothy, just giving some reminders and some instructions and some encouragements uh, about things that need to be done and how to do things there and and how just he personally needs to hang in there because it's going to be rough going. The problems in in this church stemmed from some leaders who had gone astray. They'd gone off the rails, both in their teaching and also in their conduct. They ended up stirring up controversies in the church, leading people astray and sidetracking people in in their Christian life. So today, here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we'll be looking this morning in verses 1 through 13, and the focus is church leadership. As we begin, I want to remind us of the answer to this question. Whose church is it? Whose church is it anyway? The church is comprised of believers. You and me, all all of us as believers in Christ gathered this morning, we comprise this local church, the Chapel of the Lake. It's made up of believers gathered here. You, me, and us believers in Jesus Christ united with every other believer around the world make up the universal church of Jesus Christ. While we together are the church, it is not our church. It is, as I just saw a couple of you answer when I asked the question, you rightly answered, whose church is it? It is God's church. It says it even in our text this morning. We'll get down to verse 5. But verse 5 says, If a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? It is God's church. A few verses later, not in today's text, but in verse 15, it says, I write to you so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. The church belongs to God. Sadly, there are many people sitting in pews and many pastors in the pulpits 
who think the church belongs to them. There are even pastors whose name is on all the paperwork. They literally own the church on the paperwork. They're going to have a surprise when they get to heaven. (laughs) That is wrong. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's God's church. And a great many problems are solved and resolved before they ever started when we remember that reality. You see, if it's God's church, my agendas, my opinions, my preferences, my desires really are irrelevant because it's not my church. You see, that's the source of most church fights. (laughs) It's about our opinions, our desires, our ideas, our preferences. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, Jesus Christ is the head of the church, his body. He goes on to say, and he himself is its savior. Jesus is the head of the church because he bought it. He paid for it with his blood. You know, I'm glad when I wake up in the morning... That my, I'm just glad when I wake up in the morning, I am that, that age. I heard somebody laughing. I was just like, yeah. <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm glad that when I wake up in the morning that my fingers don't wake up and say, hey, what are we going to do today? And my toes start saying, hey, what are we going to do today? And all of a sudden, my fingers and toes start running off to do their agenda. You know, wouldn't that be a crazy thing and a disaster? And yet that's the way that we are in the church. We're the finger, we're the toe, and we kind of, we come here and we think, you know, hey, what are we going to do? But it's not the job of the fingers and the toes to say, hey, what are we going to do? It's the job of the fingers and the toes to listen to what the head says. The head says, do this, do this. It's chaos when we don't listen You see, that's what it is to be in the church. We are to be listening to the head, to Jesus Christ. It's our prime mission. Say, what is, what does Jesus want us to do? That's our prime mission. That really is the prime concern or should be the prime concern of church leaders. What does Jesus Christ want us to do? That is why the focus is on the Word of God and on prayer. Well, let's dig into our text this morning. Verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. In the Bible, what we discover is that there are really only two offices named in the church. The first of those is named here in this verse, overseer, and as we'll keep going, we'll discover the other is deacon. The scripture has quite a bit to say about overseers, and that's the focus here in the first seven verses of our text. We encounter these overseers all through the New Testament. However, There are several different words, several different names used for this same group of leaders. And the different names help us to understand a little bit of what their responsibilities, what their roles, what their job description is. And so I'll quickly mention a couple of these different names to help us understand the function of the overseers. The first name for these overseers, or this office is the one that's here in the text, the overseers. In Greek, it's the word episkopoi. You might recognize that. You just say that sounds kind of like episcopal. And that's where the Episcopal Church gets their name is from this word, episkopoi. Sometimes it's translated bishop. When we hear bishop, we think of guys with pointy hats and long, flowing, fancy robes. But that's not at all a picture of this term, overseer or bishop, in the text. There's nothing about this person who is lofty and who is above um, 
who is over regions of churches. The overseers in Scripture are in a local church overseeing a church. And that tells us the first job of these leaders. They are overseers. They are superintendents who watch over and look over and superintend the church. Another common word or title for this office is that of elders. These titles, by the way, are used in Scripture interchangeably. You'll see in passages where the same, same group is described by different words. And um, the second and most common term used for this office is that of elders. The Greek word is pres. Presbyteroi sounds kind of like Presbyterian, which is exactly where the Presbyterians get their title, their name. It means elder. Literally, what it describes for us is that these people should be elder, not necessarily elderly, but rather elder in the Lord. They should be older believers. They should be mature believers. As mature believers, they are the ones who are to teach the Word of God and to protect the church from false teachers because they are spiritually mature. By the way, in Scripture, when you encounter this word elders relating to the church, you will almost always find it in the plural, which helps us to understand that in churches, it, the design is not to have one central uh, leader who is the, you know, the prime guy, the guy who, every, who runs the church and who owns the church and everything. He is a part of a team of elders, of leaders. As senior pastor here, I don't own the church. I don't rule it. I'm part of a team, an elder among elders. I'm accountable to them. We believe that is biblical. We believe it is healthy. There's a third term that I'll just mention this morning to describe this office, and that is that of pastor, poimenias. Also, the word would be translated as shepherds. tells us a lot about what these elders, these overseers are to do. They are to shepherd the flock. They are to do like a, like a shepherd does who cares for the sheep. They are to care for the, the people in the church. They are to, as a shepherd feeds sheep, so the, these uh, elders and overseers are to feed the flock by teaching the word of God. They are also to protect the flock, as we mentioned, even as they are, I said earlier with the, with the elders, they are to protect from false teaching. So while all of those terms aren't in this passage, it just helps to understand what they're supposed to do. Our, our passage this morning focuses not on the job description, but it focuses rather on the qualifications. What are these elders, these overseers, these leaders, what are they supposed to look like? What are the requirements for them to hold this position of leadership in the church? There's a very similar list to this you find over in Titus chapter 1. It's an interesting thing to compare the two. They're very, very similar. This week as I reviewed this, this passage and studied through it, I once again... Uh, as I, the first day I finished, I was just like, I need to go and turn in my resignation. <laughs> the more I studied this week, the more convinced I was. <laughs> These are, this is some list. It's convicting. I count here some 16 qualifications. You may divide it differently. But 16 qualifications listed for overseers, elders, pastors in the church. Pick it up in verse 2. There's several in that one. It says, Therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Above reproach is perhaps the most convicting. It is the overarching among everything. Some of your translations will translate it as blameless. What it doesn't mean is that they are perfect. 
If that were the case, then definitely I would have to resign, as would every other elder in this church, because none of us are perfect. Of course, none of you are perfect either. Matter of fact, only Jesus was perfect. It doesn't mean perfect, but what it does do, literally, the word blameless here could be translated, cannot be arrested. You see, every one of you has probably deserved to be arrested. Because most of you have broken the law. I know that I've driven behind many of you. (laughs) Many of you have seen me drive. And if it weren't just for, you know, the, law, the traffic laws, we'd probably broken some other law. We didn't mow our grass often enough for one week or something. Especially if you live in Lake St. Louis, but that's off the record. I don't, lots of rules, that's all I can say. But you see, the point is, we cannot be arrested not because we've never broken the law. We're blameless not because we've never sinned, but because it means you don't leave it there. When you sin, you confess it, you deal with it, you turn from it, you move on. That's the point. The reason you haven't been arrested is you've dealt with it, you see. (laughs) And so it is here. We're blameless because we've dealt with the wrongs. And we don't leave them. And as we continue to sin, which even elders and pastors do, we deal with it says, husband of one wife. A lot of debate, and I can't take this much time on all of these, but this one I need to focus for just a second because there's lots of debate about it. Husband of one wife. Some take this, and over the years have taken this to, to mean that it's restricting the office of elder to only those who are married. They are the husband of one wife. Others focus on the one wife and say what that means is they can't be a polygamist. They can't have more than one wife. Um, others would say, no, it's more restrictive than just they can't have one wife at a, only one wife at a time. That'd be polygamy to have more than that. But it's saying that they could only have one wife ever. They can't uh, be divorced and remarried. Others would say not only divorced and remarried, but they can't be even widowed and remarried. Um, all of those have been held or are held by different people. I won't debate those this morning. We don't have time. Others say that this phrase may or may not include all of those or any of those, but that it is better translated not in the quantitative sense, but in the qualitative sense. In other words, it's not just the husband of one wife numerically, while that's important, but they are the husband of one wife. Literally, they are a one-woman man. It's talking qualitative. They are devoted to the wife that they have. Again, we may see merit in all or most. Certainly, they ought to be devoted to their wife. Now we can debate which of the other things, if any of those apply in another time. Okay. Bottom line, their marriage matters. Thirdly, it said they are sober-minded. means they are temperate. They are calm. They have a cool head. They don't jump into something before they think. You know, just hear some information and run off without getting the whole story. They are not naive, just believing, you know, just this without really thinking it through. Uh, That's the point. Sober-minded. Related to that is it says they are self-controlled. In other words, they are sensible. They are prudent. They are respectable, worthy of respect. They are hospitable. They are sensitive to those who have needs for, uh, of housing, of food, of, of those who have need of companionship, folks who are alone. They, they, they are sensitive and they, they are welcoming to share what they have with those with various needs. All of that wrapped up in hospitality They care about people. They are able to teach. This one stands out just a little bit because if you've noticed, everything so far that has been mentioned is dealing with a character quality and actually most of the rest of the list deals with character. This and only one other thing, only two things in this whole list have anything to do with competencies, with with abilities. There's a big lesson simply in that. 
our tendency when we try to when we look at a job when we look at leadership is we tend to look at what skills does this person have uh, do I like them? Do they have charismatic personality? You know, uh, we, we look at a lot of different things. God measures character above competencies. This main part of this list is all about character. God can meet us. He can help us in our Lack of competency. But he calls for us to be people of character. Three thoughts are bound up in this concept of able to teach. It is a competency. We need to be a leader, an elder needs to be competent to teach, able to teach. Three things. He needs to know the scriptures well enough to teach. It goes back to that spiritual maturity. But he needs to know the scriptures Secondly, he needs to have a willingness and a desire to see people learn and grow in their walk with Jesus Christ, a desire to teach and train others. And thirdly, he needs to have at least a little bit of ability to communicate. And by the way, none of this says that an elder, a, an overseer, a pastor needs to be able to teach 10,000 people at a time and needs to have a silver tongue. All it says is that they have a desire to see people learn. They have the knowledge of the Word of God and they have the ability to communicate it, maybe even just on a one or two people level at a time. But it ought to be the heartbeat of, of elders, of overseers, to know and communicate the Word of God. It goes on. It says, verse Verse 3, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Not a drunkard. He is not in the grip or under the control of substances like alcohol or drugs. He is not violent. Instead, he's the opposite of that. He is, as it goes on to say, gentle. He is not quarrelsome. We've all known those people, whoever they go, <laughs> struggles follow them. They are people who stir up dissension, who stir up controversy, who stir up trouble. This elder, this leader shouldn't be that kind of a person. Rather, as some of your translations says, he is peaceable. In other words, he's the person who doesn't stir things up. He's the person who, when he walks in the room, he settles disputes down. And he's not a lover of money. He understands that this world isn't our home. The stuff of this world is passing away. He has his priorities where they need to be. It's focused on the things that last forever. And there are two things, as our old pastor Cain used to say, two things in this world that last forever. The word of God and the souls of men. That should be the priority of an elder, of an overseer, of a shepherd. Moves on, verse 4. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? This brings us to the second competency for an elder. An elder, an a overseer in a church, how do you know if they're going to be a good leader in the church? It says you look at the home. They need to manage their household. I didn't have room on the slide. Add the word well. Manage their household well. In the corporate world, in the business world, in the secular world, how you, what your home life is like is considered to be irrelevant. Or we're supposed to consider it irrelevant. But in the church of God, God says... If you want to be a leader in the church of God, if you're being considered as a leader in the church of God, your home life matters. It is essential. If a man's house is a mess, don't expect him to lead well in the church. 
If he's neglectful, if he's irresponsible, if he is unfaithful, if he is, is lazy in his duties at home, then you cannot expect him to be responsible and attentive and faithful and energetic in his duties at church. If he is neglectful, if he is harsh, if he's uncaring in his relationships at home, you can expect that he will have problems caring for people in the church. Home life matters for leaders in God's church. You can either make it a separate thing or you can include it under that one, but I made it a separate one. It says that his children are under control. Literally, it said, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. I wrestled with that one a little bit this week. What exactly is he saying? I think he's saying this. This man has mastered the art of parenting well without losing his cool. His children follow his authority, but he is not an angry man. He's not a temperamental man. He's not a harsh dictator. He has neither lost his temper nor lost his mind. And all of us who have been parents understand how hard that, that is. <laughs> but trust me, if you're going to be a leader in the church, you need those skills. See, leading in the church is a lot more like leading a family than leading a corporation. That's why this core competency, one core competency for elders is teaching, the other is manage your home well. Got to move on. It says verse 6, He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil he must be in other words a mature believer not a novice not a newbie sometimes churches take a recent convert someone who just happens to be rich or a community leader well known or a celebrity and then quickly take them and move them into some place of prominence and call attention to them you know, because of Christ, look, you know, look, God can even save, you know, somebody in politics or whatever. And, uh, they, but they move them into this place and, and quickly, you know, shower attention and even responsibility on them. And it says, no, don't do that. Pride was Satan's great sin is what it's, the point is. And it is a big temptation for all of us. But to take a new believer and throw them into a place of prominence and leadership makes them a prime target for this sin. Don't do it. They need time to grow and mature. Then, lastly, it says they need to have, be a person of a good reputation among unbelievers. Sad to say, many Christians don't. Hasn't happened very often, but a few times as... Is as I've been pastor here, I've gotten a phone call. Someone from out in the community, not even a believer, a couple of times, called up and said, I heard so-and-so is a member of your church. Well, just so you know, <laughs> you know, they did this and this. They did not have a good reputation in the community. That's something, by the way, as a church we need to deal with. But it should never be the case for one who is a leader in the church. Well, this is quite a list. Again, no one does all of these things perfectly all the time, but they should be the pattern, they should be the direction of the life of an elder and overseer in the church of God. Paul now turns our Timothy's and our attention to the deacons in verses 8 through 13. By the way, deacons, interestingly... The office of deacon is mentioned in Scripture far less than that of elder, overseer, shepherd. Matter of fact, the word, however, I should say, of deacon is mentioned a lot. 
The word is a very common word in the New Testament. It simply means servant, or very specifically, one who serves tables. To know the difference between whether it's talking about just someone who's a servant or someone who is the office of a deacon, you have to go by the context. Same as you do with the word shepherd. Shepherd can mean someone who takes care of sheep. They pastor sheep out in the fields, or it can mean someone who shepherds or pastors a flock in the church. And so they serve as a pastor in the church. The difference is always just you got to look at the context. Which Which is it talking about? So you have to do with servant. And what you discover with this word servant is when it means deacon, as in the office of the church, it really, as you look at context, only shows up really three times in the New Testament. The first is in Acts chapter 6. You'll recall the story. The church is in its infancy and the elders are struggling. They've got a problem. They're busy and there's a problem and they need help. They need help taking care of widows in the church. And so they, they uh, godly men are selected to, and the word is deacon, to wait tables to take care of these widows. The, el- the deacons or these servants are never called deacons there. It's just described, here's what they do. It's the very closest that we get to a job description for deacons anywhere in the New Testament. What did they do? They took care of waiting tables so that the elders, as Acts 6 says, could focus on, or the apostles, I should say, could focus on teaching the Word of God and prayer. That, I would say, is the function of deacons. The second passage where deacons are mentioned is Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. I'll just put it up here very quickly where Paul is greeting the church in Philippi. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints of Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the, here it is, overseers, the elders, and the deacons, the two offices in the church. Is it talking there about deacons, the office in the church, or is he talking about just everybody in the church who's a servant? The reality is we can't really know. So it's kind of a maybe, even. But that's all it says about deacons. The third passage that talks about this office of deacon is the one before us here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So like I say, there's not a whole lot for us to go on. For lack of time, I'm not going to really comment on this passage. We're running out of time. I'm just going to read it. But as I do, what I want you to notice as we go through, and again, the focus is on the qualifications... But notice how similar they sound to the qualifications for elders. Because in fact, this is a spiritual ministry and the qualifications are almost identical. One thing is missing for this list for deacons. One significant thing is that requirement, able to teach. Because this ministry of deacon is not the teaching ministry It is the come along and help the elders, the shepherds, the overseers in their ministry. Let me read very quickly. Verse 9. Follow along. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, and not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. I'm going to skip past verse 11 for just a moment. We'll come back. Verse 12. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, And also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Again, as I said a minute ago, Acts 6 really gives us the best thing we have for a job description. There's really nothing said here about what deacons are to do or the skills or the gifts that they need to do their work. 
What I think that indicates is that Scripture gives us much latitude in the church to divvy up responsibilities, to assign duties, and to organize structures in the church as however seems appropriate and needed within the church under the leadership of the elders. So the Lord here focuses our attention not upon what deacons and servants need to do in the church, but what he deems most important for any who are going to lead or to serve in the church, and that is he focuses on their character. Now, with all that said, let me just note two things that I think deserve noting about elders and deacons in 21st century American churches. The first is that leaders are accountable. We do not protect leadership by avoiding accountability. Unfortunately, there's a lot of places and churches where that happens. We do not protect leadership by avoiding accountability. We protect leadership with accountability. Accountability is implied in this, in this passage by two things. Leaders are accountable to one another and they are accountable to the church. And I see it in two things. First, in the plurality of leadership implies accountability. As I said, as an elder, as a pastor in this church, I sit among the elders. I am accountable to them and we all to one another. Our deacons are accountable to the elders and they are accountable to one another. And we are all, I believe, accountable to the church as a whole. We will see that accountability show up later in this book over in chapter 6. But that is implied here in this by this whole listing of character qualities. It is not there just so that we can say, okay, you know, Bob here is, is eligible to be an elder because he meets the, the requirements, the, the character qualities here, and so we put him in the office and then he stays there for life. It's not just initially they qualify, it is supposed to be maintained. And when an elder, when a deacon... When any of us step out of line in the church, the ministry of the church is to come alongside and say, hey, what's going on? Accountability. Leaders are accountable, as are really all of us. We are all accountable to one another before Jesus Christ. Sadly, there are many, many in the name of Christ who are running around out there with no accountability to anyone. And I don't believe that's the model and the pattern that the scripture, and that the Lord Jesus has set up for us. Secondly, I read through this listing and I see again, elders and deacons are men. Picking up on what we talked about a little bit last week, but like it or not, God has delegated church leadership to men. The offices of elder and deacon are restricted here to men. And I see that through the language throughout, which is male in language, male terms. And the qualification in verse 2 and verse 12 for elders and deacons as the husband of one wife, I think kind of restricts it to men. You know, people say I'm dense, but I don't think I'm that dense. Seems pretty plain to me. And then, as we saw last week in the chapter before, chapter 2, where it says there, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she, you know, and the verse goes on, but I just stop there. The point is, how can someone be an elder or deacon and be over the church doing these duties and be a woman and not be exercising authority over a man? I don't see how that works. Plus, they can't be the husband of one wife. So I think it's kind of plain to me. But that said, as we noted last week, it is a big deal in the church today. There are a vast number of evangelical churches that are saying, you know, well, we think, you know, women can be elders or deacons. 
Your argument's not with me. Matter of fact, if it was up to me, women would do everything. <laughs> Just saying, you know. <laughs> I'll go fish, you know, or whatever. It's okay. But it's not our church. It's God's church. Um, with that said now, I've got to go back to verse 11. Because again, this is a place of controversy. I save this verse because it's, it needs a few extra minutes. And it's, well, you'll see. Verse 11. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderous, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. The question is, and the controversy is, who is this referring to? Because the word here, wives, by the way, that little article there, T-H-E-I-R, isn't in the original. It's just one word. It's either it's the same word, but it can be translated wives or it can be translated women. Either one is a legitimate translation. And so is it wives or is it women? And in two minutes, we're not going to solve the problem. Okay. Let me just tell you what it, some people says that it means the wives of the deacons. That is the way that most of our translations read. Or... Most of our translations could also be taken, if you read it carefully, could be the wives of both the deacons and the elders. Quite frankly, I kind of lean that way. But there are those who say, no, it's not wives at all, it should be women. Which, by the way, this very same word translated wives here, back in verse 2, is translated the husband of one wife, same word. In verse 12, the husband of one wife, same word. But maybe it's women. If so, is it referring to women deaconesses, a third office? So he talks about elders, then he talks about deacons, now he talks about women, the deaconesses. Or is he talking about women who serve as deacons? Well, number four, while I said it's, in, it's finding increasing acceptance in churches today, for all the reasons I mentioned before, I won't do over it again, I don't think that's a legitimate answer. As far as which one is it? Well, I think any of the top three work. Doesn't cause me heartburn to say you have another office in a church of deaconesses who are servants in the church who serve under the elders and under the deacons and go about doing ministry. Yeah? Not a problem. Which is it? I don't, it doesn't really matter <laughs> of those. I think you can take your pick. But let me point out something which I think does matter and we don't want you to miss, and that's this. Don't miss the fact that women matter. The very existence of qualifications for these women is another affirmation that even though God has assigned the primary, the ultimate leadership in the church to the men, that... God also has called for women to have significant roles, to have purposeful and legitimate and, and vital spiritual ministry within the church. And so, like the men, women in such positions must qualify with godly character. Don't miss that. Women matter. Now, all that, I just want to end with this. Because talking about all this leadership and, it's, and looking at the reality that these standards for church leaders are high. They're, they're really high. It's easy to look at that and say, well, you know what? Oh, I can't have that office for whatever, and I don't want that office... For or whatever, and you know what? So none of this has anything to do with me. <laughs> so I can just throw all this stuff out and go on and do whatever I want. And we miss something very significant. All of these requirements, all of these qualifications for the elders, the deacons, and the women or wives here are there 
here for us to be aspirational. In other words, they are here not to say that these don't apply to me, but to say, no, these do apply to me. Because verse 1 says, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble thing. That word noble means very, very good. It means excellent. And what it's saying is every single one of us should aspire to have these qualities. If these are the qualities that are, are set up for our leaders, and matter of fact, when I look at the list, you realize there's not a thing on those lists that shouldn't apply to you, to every one of us. Except for the fact, husbands of one wife, if you're a woman, it should be the wife of one husband, okay? You'll be a one husband man. <laughs> woman. Woman. See, scratch that from the tape. That didn't happen, okay? <laughs> we're that kind of church. No, we're not. <laughs> one husband. See, I, never mind. I just. I told you, pastors, and we're not perfect. We're, we just say, I'm sorry. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? These are for all of us. Yes, it is what we are supposed to desire in our leaders, but it's supposed to be what we desire in ourselves. The calling to us as leaders and the scary thing is for leaders is we are supposed to be able to say, come, follow me. <laughs> I'm trying to follow Jesus. Keep your eye on him because I'm going to keep stumbling and falling. But may we all try to be like Christ. Let's pray. Father, there's a lot of stuff here. But may we recognize that it is a noble, it's a good, it's an excellent thing for all of us to aspire to all of these things. Father, we recognize that leadership is important. And so we want to choose our leaders well in our church. We need to hold them accountable for their benefit, for the benefit of the church. Father, we also need to pray for our leaders. We pray for our elders, our deacons, that they not fall, that they not stumble, that they not embarrass Jesus, that they don't bring reproach on the name of Christ, and that, that every one of us, Father, will instead be a good example of Jesus. So that those who don't know Christ, our neighbors, our co-workers, the world, when they look at our church, we're going to make this personal. When they look at our church, when they look at our leaders, when they look at us, they see Jesus and they're attracted to him because of the character they see in us. So Lord, take our lives and our hearts mold us, make us more like Jesus. For Jesus' glory, his name we ask it. Amen.